0: If you build tech that is safe for sex workers, you build tech that is safe for everyone, right? If you build something that works for the most marginalized people, you build something that will work for everybody.
1: Hey, I'm Rudy, and this is the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Here, we learn about the lives of our favorite crypto experts, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Jessica, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today.
0: Hi! Thank you so much for having me. Of
1: course, uh, you're working a lot in the NFT space and um, developing your own platform, MintStars, which is a platform for models and creators. And thank you for being a builder. And before we get into how you got, well, how you're working on um, MintStars, I want to know more of how you got into crypto in the first place. Like, where were you before even hearing about Bitcoin or Ethereum?
0: Oh my gosh. So (laughs) I was not planning to get into crypto at all. I mean, obviously, I had heard of Bitcoin. And then a few years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about Ethereum and how he had made, you know, three times his money on it. And classic. um, That was very obviously piqued my interest. Um, So I started looking into a little bit. But when I really got interested in blockchain, was When I was doing my master's at Cambridge uh, in development studies, they brought in a speaker to talk to us about the potential of blockchain to help with international development um, and kind of taught us how blockchains worked and how they could help with transparency, um, for example, with donor funding, like development funding, making Mm -hmm. sure that it is the right person, helping to combat corruption. And that was something that I found fascinating, right? Because... So much more than just Bitcoin, which is like a, you know, monetary exchange. Yeah, like payments, you know, digital payments. The idea of being able to combat corruption and being able to also for remittances for people who send money home to their families when they migrate abroad, because so many have to pay like 30% fees to their banks when they send money to other countries. That to me was incredible. And that's where I started to really get interested in it. But I didn't quite know how to get involved in it aside from just like, you know, buying a few hundred dollars of Ethereum. (laughs) That's like,
1: that's always the tip. That's like, you want to get involved, put a little skin in the game and then you'll start really researching what this means and what it's like. You'll you'll not only like think about how much money you can make, but all the development behind it, you'd be very interested in just because, you know, you invested in it. If you invest in any company, you're going to research what they're doing. So... That's great exactly that that. yeah,
0: and then and then I guess it kind of um coincided with you know my uh, we'll get into this more, but my PhD research is on sex workers' rights, and I had started looking more into the online sex work space and seeing how a lot of online sex workers were using cryptocurrency and were being forced to set up Coinbase accounts because they were having their payment apps shut down. Wow. So I don't know if you know this, but apps like Venmo, Cash App. PayPal ban adult content creators from using them, even if what they're doing is completely legal. Mm -hmm. And so all of these online sex workers kept having their accounts shut down to the point where the only way they could accept payments, aside from using a platform like OnlyFans, which charges 20% of their earnings, was to use cryptocurrency. And I found that really interesting because there's all this narrative around crypto being used only by like criminals or by crypto bros who are That's, like obsessed with the technology, but it's actually really useful for people who are shut out of the traditional financial system. Yep. And so I got interested in it in that way and then um, kind of fell into this project uh, yeah. more recently.
1: Yeah, so not, it sounds like as soon as if you started hearing about Ethereum or cryptocurrency in general and what it offers in the global sense and you know, ownership sense of your own, of your own money, Things started clicking almost immediately. Like were you were you starting to connect some dots in your head, like, oh, this is this is something that can change people's lives?
0: It was, I would say, a gradual process Mm -hmm. where I was, you know, I was looking at this space and I had thought about it in the context of international development. And then I was writing an article for a book on online sex work and talking about alternative payment methods. And around that time, I had left my job um, at a women's rights law firm and come back home where I was applying to jobs and I was unemployed. So I had all this time on my hands. And a friend of mine, I mean, we'll get into the the founder origin story um, a little bit later, but uh, a friend of mine and I started talking about these problems. And this was when NFTs were blowing up and I started reading about them and seeing how they could be used to combat a lot of the problems I was seeing to help women have greater ownership over their images and how crypto could be used to combat some of the financial discrimination that I was seeing. Wow.
1: And that's amazing. And like during, I guess, for the people that you're uh, seeing having this issue, is it U.S. based or like, are you, or do you have any other countries in mind that are having such issues?
0: Everywhere it affects People because, and I would say the, the payment apps are predominantly hosted in the US. So mm-hmm. a lot of people outside the US can't even use those apps, right? Venmo is only in the US. Um, Cash App, there's a limited number of countries. PayPal is more global, but PayPal is one of the worst offenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but crypto is actually really relevant to that too, because a lot of people in developing countries are also shut out of these peer to peer transaction systems, right? so they can't just venmo someone from another country. Um they're not allowed to use those platforms. Mm-hmm. And so with crypto, they're suddenly able to send money to anyone in the world without a huge fee being taken out. And it helps to address problems like inflation, right? Like yeah. in Argentina, which is somewhere that I've traveled and studied, they have, you know, we we talk about 9% inflation here and think that's crazy, the inflation there is horrible. And mm-hmm. so people who have their savings are losing them. So if they can you know store their money in usdc well that's huge
1: yep i feel like that's something that I, I have a hard time explaining to americans who haven't traveled is money isn't as safe and like easy to transfer in other countries like having venmo is a straight-up luxury it's a luxury to have in our in our country and Cryptocurrency, like when I tell people, oh, you can transfer money between people like easily. Like you can do that now with any other platform. You have Facebook Messenger that can even send money if you want to. And it's just like, no, no, but it's, it's like for the global economy, for the global good. Like there's so many other people around the world. When you try to teach them about crypto and it makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, actually, I have a story about this. Um, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. I was trying to send money to some people back in Ecuador which is where I had done some of my um, research for my honors thesis um, on sex workers' rights. And I had also been interning with a transgender rights organization there. And when COVID happened, I went, oh my God, this group of people who I met, who helped me so much, who took me to their places of work, who I did interviews with, who are the reason why I am where I am today with my academic career, they are going to be devastated by this because they can't see clients, they can't work. And so I got back in touch with um, one of the leaders of the organizations there and said, "How can I um, send you some money to help?" And when I gave, a, when I sent a bank transfer to her, the bank took a thirty percent cut. That's. And there was no way I tried ridiculous. to find transfer wise. I tried so many ways to figure out how to send money to Ecuador without paying these high fees, and it was impossible.
1: And it's just like you have to pay the fees. That's a big chunk. 30% of whatever, $100 is a lot of money, especially in a country where the dollar is worth a lot more. It's just, yeah, that's ridiculous. And then, so is that what kind of, um, at what point did you start pushing to get a PhD in public policy?
0: Ooh, I mean, I think I always envisioned myself getting a PhD because like, as a kid, I kind of saw it as like <laughs> the highest thing you could get. And I was like, yeah. well, I'm a good student, so obviously I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, but the thing that really made me want to do it was um, my undergraduate honors thesis. So in, as an undergrad, I went—I was at Duke and studying public policy there. And my research initially, I was a research assistant for a professor um, doing research on human trafficking, how the U.S. impacts global human trafficking policy. Um, She was an amazing mentor. She's now the dean of the public policy school there. And then I did my honors thesis research on sex work in Argentina and Ecuador. And I went there and I did interviews with sex workers there. I did interviews with the anti-trafficking organization. And that was probably the most interesting and meaningful thing I've ever done in my life. And I fell in love with the research. Um, I went and did my master's for a year. And then I worked for a couple of years for a women's rights law firm and working for that law firm was really fascinating I learned a lot I liked that we were doing stuff that helped people but I found myself fantasizing during the day about like sitting in a cafe and reading feminist theory and like taking days off work so I could work on revising my master's thesis uh-huh. and I was like okay I think I have to go back to school um, that's, a,
1: that's a strong daydream to go back to school I'm like complete opposite I'm like oh man school is like the worst thing I just can't do it anymore because it's. I do my engineering, got my MBA, but I'm like, I'm I'm done. But kudos to you, that's amazing. People like you are the reason why we have such amazing studies and such amazing amazing cases that are thoroughly researched and sought out, and it's what helps develop productivity in our country. So,
0: thank you. Well, now that I'm back in it, I'm <laughs> missing having a nine to five job and having <laughs> them,
1: but it'll be worth it.
0: Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> uh, when I graduate and I'm 32 and I have no job prospects.
1: So- <laughs> the well,
0: <laughs> crypto community and ask for
1: help. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. The crypto community is really good at helping situations like that. Like, you can apply for grants. You can apply for uh, funding through different programs. And not only that, the community itself is very generous when they have uh, a community they want to follow and help out. And um, like that's what kind of want want to get ne- uh, into um, into next, which is how MintStar started, and also kind of what about that uh, sector of like helping out sex workers and reviewing the uh, public policies around that? What, what kind of motivated you to follow that industry?
0: Ooh, Okay, so that's two different two different um,
1: questions, questions. leading up to that.
0: Let me answer the first one first. Mm-hmm. Um, so Minstars, as I mentioned, the idea came about <clears throat> after I had left my job at the law firm, I was back home applying to jobs, And um, a friend of mine came to me for help because um, a a friend of his who was an OnlyFans creator had had a video of hers stolen off of her page and pirated onto another site without her consent. Wow. And when I was at this law firm, one of their specialties was working with victims of revenge porn um, or image-based sexual abuse. Revenge Mm -hmm. porn is kind of the colloquial term for it. Yeah. Um, And so he asked me for advice about what she should do and we started talking about the need for a platform that would better protect these creators' interests. And initially, we were looking at, well, could we start a payment app that wouldn't discriminate um, using crypto in some way? But we discovered through that, well, you still have to deal with the banks and the banks discriminate. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I was also looking at the online creator economy space and realizing this wasn't just a problem that affects sex workers, but the online content creation economy is broken creators are working you know ridiculous hours not getting paid sufficiently the majority of them there's immense inequality in the content creation space the top one percent of creators are earn like at least 30 percent of the earnings or more um wow i
1: didn't know
2: that it's, it's and, and people
0: have to work so hard to market themselves they spend most of their time marketing themselves rather than you know focusing on creating content. And so around that time is when NFTs were starting to blow up. Um, And I read this story of the supermodel Emily Ratajkowski's NFT sale. Mm -hmm. Now She um, is a supermodel who had had a photo of hers um, stolen off of her Instagram by a male artist who blew it up and sold it as a painting without her consent. And yeah, it was horrible. And there was nothing she could really do about it. And so she ended up buying that painting back from him. And then she took a photo of herself standing in front of the painting and sold it as an NFT for $175,000 and titled it Buying Myself Back. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. What an amazing statement of the power of this technology to help women reclaim their image. And my younger sister is a professional model. And so I have seen, you know, her also have st- uh, photos stolen. I've seen how burned out she can get from having to post photos on Instagram all the time. And mm-hmm. that's time that she's not getting paid for. And I thought, oh my God, what if we could make this technology accessible to all models yeah. and all content creators and all women? And I saw kind of three main benefits of NFTs. The first that it allows creators to track who has legitimately purchased their content. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I saw it is creating a financial incentive against piracy. Because if the customer owns this asset that they can resell, well, why would you go spread it all over the internet and devalue that asset? Yep. If you keep it scarce, you can resell it for a higher price. And then thirdly, it creates this passive income stream for the creator because they can make money not only from the first time they post the content, but ongoing throughout the content's life cycle, and it can even increase in value over time. So it creates a much more sustainable relationship to content that can help to combat some of that burnout that I was seeing. And so I said to my friend, Dan, who's now my co-founder, well, what if we took the subscription model of OnlyFans or Patreon and combined it with an NFT marketplace and made all of the content into NFTs? Uh, And so we started working on that together um, and we've been working on it a bit over a year now. Um, We have our front end working prototype now and um, we plan to launch our beta version in November.
1: Wow, congratulations on that. It's That's a exciting roadmap ahead, so I'm, I'm definitely ready for November to come out so I can share what you've created.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And, um, yeah, and like the, the three steps that you've uh, said is such a core importance of why NFTs are important. People always say, oh, just right-click and save that picture, but it's not the picture itself. It's the ownership of that data, the ownership of the creation, saying that, I own this, I have made it, here's my signature, if you like it, buy it, and an artist deserves to get royalties for that, for spreading their work, like, it's not like a, it's a concept that's always been wanted, but it's always really hard to um, to commit, because if you don't have like a lawyers backing you up for royalties, who are going to find, oh, you, you've torrented this music, or you've torrented this movie, like, that happens all the time, but no one really hounds a person unless it's um, obvious or you have a big group of people helping you out find who has been trying to steal from you.
0: Right. And um, we think it's a great use case for musicians as well. And that's a group that we'd really love to attract in the future. Because everyone wants to say that they were the first person to follow a musician or a band. Mm -hmm. But right now, there's not really a way of proving that. And with Mint Stars, the way it's going to work is that the earlier you subscribe to a creator, the more rare content you'll have access to. Because you only receive, when you subscribe, you only receive the NFTs of the content posted during the time you're subscribed. You won't get access to all the old content the way you do on OnlyFans or Patreon. So that means if you're one of the first 10 people to subscribe to a creator, well, you own a one of 10 NFT. And so now if that band blows up in the future and becomes the next Rolling Stones, well, you have a really rare piece of content that you can resell to a fan for a lot more. And you can prove that you are one of the original fans, right? So it rewards people for loyalty too. It's a benefit as well to the fans.
1: And I wonder if any fan wants to sell that. Oh, look at me. I'm the first person to follow the Rolling Stones. Here's my NFT. Well, not Rolling Stones, but in that example.
0: (laughs) Hopefully the Rolling Stones.
1: I got Reborn. Um, yeah, trying to sell that, I guess, trophy, almost the NFT. That'd be an interesting concept.
0: Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. I think that's really cool because it appeals both. What we're trying to do is it is we want to focus less on NFTs as collectibles and speculative speculative investments the way most NFT projects are now. Focus more on the content as consumable, right? That's why most people buy content because they want to enjoy the content, not because they're trying to invest in it but it also rewards the collector and the investor because it's both about enjoying that content and supporting a creator you love and there's the added benefit that it could go up in value
1: exactly and then you were saying um i'm building out mint stars and i kind of thinking of the logistics of it because it is a really difficult industry just to build a company around and what are some hurdles that you've been facing and surpassing?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, I would say one of the biggest hurdles, which we knew we were going to have from the start, um, was finding a payment processor yeah. um, and a bank that would work with us because most payment processors and banks discriminate against sex positive companies. And that can be an adult company or it can be sex education, could be a sex toy company. Um, and it doesn't matter to them that we're not 100% adult, right? We're for all kinds of content creators. But the fact that we're not discriminating against sex workers means so that, sad. yeah, they uh, view us as a liability. So I had a lot of conversations with payment processors. Um, We finally come to a really good solution. Um, we're going to be working with um, crypto on off ramp providers, because what we really wanted to prioritize, right? We didn't want to have. The payments be entirely in some random token that no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. that can go up and down in value, or that you know spikes like this and then goes to zero. Because the people who are doing this, like this, is their livelihood. We can't mess with that. Yep. Right? We don't want a single mom who's having to take care of her kids to have to worry that all of her tokens on Mint Stars are going to go to zero. But uh, when you use fiat, you deal with those you know legacy payment processor problems and these bottlenecks. And so the solution we've come up t- with is to use um, a fiat to crypto on off-ramp where you can use your credit card or your bank card to buy USDC through the um, on-ramp and top up your wallet on Mint Stars, And then from there, we're going to have one of the world's first crypto subscription solutions. So right now, it's there's not a lot of um, subscription platforms in crypto because mm-hmm. a lot of people haven't figured out how do you do that recurring payment from a crypto wallet? Yep. And we have a solution that our tech team is building for us cool. uh, that will enable that. That's exciting. And so, yeah. So as a customer, you don't have to worry about or think about the fact that your payments are in crypto. You can really feel like, okay, I've topped up my Minstar's wallet with my credit card. And now every month, there's going to be a $10 payment taken out. That payment goes to the creator's wallet. We, and this is another big difference from traditional platforms, on traditional content subscription platforms, oftentimes creators are only able to cash out their money like once every two weeks, or once they meet a certain minimum. Yeah,
1: actual. I saw that on a Patreon. And
0: that's a, that's a big pain, right, for people who really need this money, because they're dependent on it. On Mint Stars, the creators will own their wallet, they're going to be non-custodial wallets that are in platforms, so you don't have to set up a MetaMask. You just use an email and password to set up your wallet, but then that money is yours. We can't touch it. You can cash it out anytime you want.
1: What a, like, a funny like, thing that we're discovering now is like, oh, owning your own money is such a like, miraculous thought, almost unheard of. It's like, oh, wow. Like, it's such a common thing that we should have been in existence for a long time. I and mean, that's why people love cash so much because it's the only way to say, this is my money. I own it. There's no one that can take it from me. In the banks, you can't do that because they can take it from you if they really need to. And crypto has re-enabled us to digitally own our own money. And I'm glad that you're offering that to people and giving them a new way to receive income and, yeah, hold it and use it as they need whenever they need it because they Mm -hmm. earned it.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, sadly, there's a lot of fear, justifiable fear around crypto because of all the scams that exist Mm -hmm. Um, and because so many, like, exchanges have gone bust and lost people's money. And so I think we really have to prove ourselves and earn people's trust and show them like this money really is yours and you really can cash it out to your bank and you, you really won't be shut down because, because (laughs) the bank has no way of knowing where those funds came from. Right. All the bank sees is it's crypto purchase.
1: Yeah. And I guess it's another question is, um, how has educating like sex workers who might have never seen, uh, Cryptocurrencies? Ever heard of it? Like, how, how's the education process going for you?
0: Well, I would say um, sex workers as a group are actually probably more informed about crypto than most groups of creators, hmm. um, because of that necessity. Right, a lot of them have had to learn how to use it in order to just earn a living. Um, but there is a lot of definitely skepticism and um, frustration with uh, crypto, the crypto community among sex workers for a very good reason, which is that there have been a lot of kind of, um, crypto bros that will come in and like on Twitter, for example, maybe a a sex worker will post about a problem that she's having, or he's having, uh, with payments or something like that. And a crypto bro will be in the comments. Well, like, if you just used crypto, it would solve all your problems. (laughs) And they're like, well, no, it actually wouldn't solve all my problems because there's still the problems with the banks. And there's still the problems that like, My client, Bob the Builder, is not going to pay me in Bitcoin. And there's still problems with stigma. And it's a public policy problem. So we really want to not try and claim that crypto is going to solve all your problems. But it's a shame that it has gotten that reputation because there are really legitimate ways that the technology can be useful to marginalized creators. And so we want to take those benefits without being kind of technology first, right? We're not doing this because we love crypto. We're doing it because we want to solve this problem that we've seen. And we think crypto provides a solution.
1: That's an amazing way to do your business, Teeth, you because it is exactly that. You're solving the real problem of having ownership for sex workers and for any other um, creators online to own their funds, have their earnings. And technology that happens to solve that is some blockchain technology. And that's that's yeah. great.
0: Uh-huh. And I also want to emphasize that Mint Stars is not only for sex workers. Mm -hmm. We are building around sex workers' needs first because we believe if you build, and this is something that um, a sex worker activist who I really admire, Daniel Blunt, has said, um, if you build tech that is safe for sex workers, you build tech that is safe for everyone, right? If you build something that works for the most marginalized people, you build something that will work for everybody. Uh, And so we're also targeting a lot of other groups of creators who we think can benefit from this. So professional models is one. Um, Like I mentioned, my sister is um, a model, and I really see a lot of ways that this can benefit them. There's really no platform that they can use right now to monetize their social media followings.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And their images are often used kind of without their permission. Um, But also fitness influencers, yogis, dancers, athletes, people really people who make money off their bodies and their images. And a lot of those groups of people are not yet very informed about crypto, don't know very much about NFTs. When you talk to them about NFTs, they go, oh, well, that's like those monkey pics, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: and, and that's a big frustration that I have in the NFT space that everyone is thinking about NFTs as these PFPs and collectibles and these generative NFT projects. And no one, well, not no one, there's there's definitely some innovators, yeah. but not very many people are really thinking about new ways to use the technology that actually solve problems rather than, but so much of it right now is just trying to make money.
1: I know. And that's, that's like a pet peeve of mine. It's just like, it's always after, how can I make the most dollar value out of this NFT? And everyone's like, oh, if you, it's a blue chip NFT, definitely buy it now. Cause it's going to be worth 30 ETH one day. I'm like. That's, that's all you got. It's going to be worth 30 ETH. Like that's, that's the bet. Like I money is great and all, but I need something that's more contributive to the actual build of the technology of Ethereum or blockchain and providing actual use cases where someone like me who needs it for like voting, like I would love to vote through crypto for like, for politics, for politics or even just have a way to have my health record on there. Like those are the companies I really want to support. Like, let me have my own data and privacy and let me share it as I need versus give me a cool PFP that generates a hundred ETH because Jimmy Fallon bought it. I'm like, oh, that's not Hey,
0: maybe name. that's one of the ways we get Republicans and Democrats to come together on voting rights.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's always corruption. Somebody if you get, with like crypto, it's hard, it's hard and hard to get corruption. So who knows? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I was also working in Congress this summer, and there's a an immense presence of the crypto lobby there. Really, and it's really, really interesting to me. Um, like, I attended a brief that Coinbase had uh, on Capitol Hill to brief congressional staffers about blockchain, and it was actually really well done. Um, I, I think a cool thing about the industry is that it hasn't yet become a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of excitement around the potential for innovation, but at the same time uh, calls to really better regulate the space because of the amount of scams out there and the amount of um, people being taken taken advantage of.
1: Yeah. And that's like one thing I love about large exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini. Like I am a very much, you know, not your key is not your wallet type person. Like, you know, buy it from Coinbase, move it out to your hardware wallet immediately. But companies like Coinbase are able to, you know, stand up to Congress and have the power to say, bring this into our system, bring this into our economy. It's it's healthy for us. They're the ones like, especially and the people, of course, but they're a a good voice to have fighting for crypto. And yeah, so that's that's a great thing that you saw that that's actually being worked on. Uh, I think
0: the thing I would say about more centralized platforms like Coinbase, because they get a lot of flack. Yeah, And sometimes often for good reason, but they have been adopted by far more people than any other crypto platform. And there's a reason for that. Right. So I love the ideals of decentralization and ownership and DAOs. I mean,
1: yeah. I
0: think I'm a socialist and I think DAOs could be like a step towards, you know, worker owned uh, collectives, but we're not there yet. Nah. We have to go gradually. We have to introduce people to the technology in a way that's familiar to them. And if they go onto your website and the first thing they see is like, we are a deflationary DAO and this is our tokenomic model. And we use a um, you know decentralized protocol that um, pays our users out in this token that you've never heard of and burns. You know, our burn rate yeah. is 5%. Well, they're going to be like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, and this sounds unsafe, and I don't understand it.
1: (laughs) I really understand it sometimes too, so it makes sense why people don't get it. Oh man! So as you're um as you're building this out, and I guess back to the other question was like, how? What about this industry really made you go into? Like, was it something you always thought of, like going through school? Is this this is the type of industry I want to solve, or? Was there some experience?
0: You mean mean solving for sex workers? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Um,
0: The way that I got into this as an issue, and it's an issue I've been working on for probably eight years or something. Um, Initially, going into college, I was really interested in the problem of sex trafficking. Um, It was a problem I felt really passionate about solving. And I had this kind of naive view that, okay, well, all of the sex industry is exploitative and is violent towards women and fuels sex trafficking. And I ended up through a few experiences. One was, there was um, a girl in my class my freshman year at Duke who um, became a porn actress and I saw what she went through and I also saw how she was using it to pay her um, tuition and that kind of Uh started challenging some of my views. Um, And then I took a class on sex work um, my sophomore year at Duke, which treated it as a labor rights issue and also exposed or we discussed a lot of the ways in which the anti-trafficking movement had inadvertently harmed sex workers and some of the people in this industry. And that was a perspective I had never thought of before, but really, I, what I learned, what I discovered, was okay. If you want to solve exploitation in this industry, well, you have to give people rights as workers. You have to give them bargaining power, and if you believe like that the industry should be eliminated and you should be helping people get out, well, what do most people need to get out of the industry if that's what they want? They need money. Yeah. And so if you're going through and banning and um, cracking down with police on, on this industry, you end up just driving it further underground and you end up making the people in the industry poor, which makes it harder for them to get out. Yeah. And I was really interested in the feminist debates around that issue, became really passionate about it because it was something I felt a lot of people didn't know about. And that's how my research in, into the area started.
1: Are there any countries like doing it right or as close to right as possible?
0: Yeah, the country that is kind of held up by sex worker activists as the standard is New Zealand, which has full decriminalization of sex work.
2: So that I didn't means know that.
0: that Yeah, that means that um, the well, okay, now I'm conflating <laughs> different kinds of sex work because there are there are many different kinds of sex work, right? Okay. There's prostitution or full service sex work, and, which is what I was studying for my thesis. Then there's online sex work like OnlyFans or porn or Um, You know that which is legal in the U.S. uh, That they're stripping, right? There's all kinds of stuff. So let's not conflate them all. But for prostitution, full decriminalization is considered kind of the best policy among sex worker activists, and that means that buying and selling sex are not criminalized. It means it's treated basically like any other form of work, like self employment, or if you're working for. a venue, then it's similar to working for like a nightclub or something like that. And that has been found um, by many studies to be the best way of the best policy for reducing violence in the industry, and making sex workers feel safer. Um, and it's been endorsed by medical journal The Lancet, by Human Rights Watch, by Amnesty International. It remains very controversial, and yeah. there will be feminists who come after me for saying this. Um, but I'm interested in having dialogue with them. And then, and then uh, for the online space is a different question. Yeah. But, um, with the online space, it's legal, but unfortunately, there's all these other barriers, like the payment processor issue, that um, continue to make it kind of push to the fringes of the internet. I often say. Sex workers are ghettoized from the internet. Um, It's like online redlining. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously social stigma, which we're trying to combat.
1: That's going to be a tough one for a long time, I feel like. The social stigma behind it is like centuries of damage. Um, But yeah, so I mean, it's amazing you're doing all that and doing all the research to understand better from not just what's wrong, but also what is good and what can be implemented and being in the crypto space working on your phd and building a company i want to know what jessica does for like mental health and like free time and hobbies like how how do you get out sometimes or maybe this is like everything you want to do and perfectly content but i'm wondering what's uh outside of crypto and um public policy
0: oh my god free time what's that <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well this, uh, doing this on top of a PhD is no joke, no. Um, because it's like having two more than full-time jobs at, at a time. Um, but, um, uh, my hobbies, I'm a dancer, I'm really into Latin dancing, so salsa and bachata dancing.
1: Nice.
0: Um, when I have the time, I love to do that, and spending time with friends.
1: Awesome, and dancing is a good way to, yeah, definitely relieve stress, because, like, I mean, I, I sometimes do, like, salsa lessons with my fiancé, and I'm like... For me, it's not very natural. Like, I'm not a dancer. I'm like a robot because I'm definitely more like you know a digital nerd. But <laughs> it's a uh, it's slowly growing on me, slowly learning because you know I'm breaking those synapses and like all right, this is this could be fun if you keep at it <laughs> and learn. Well,
0: that's another group that um, I'm really excited about bringing onto Mint Stars because a lot of dancers and dance instructors um really struggle to make money off of their work right they might do classes but they're also posting all these videos on instagram so that they can increase their name recognition and that's a lot of work a lot of time you know they have to get videographers to go take stuff of them and they're not making very much money off of that usually Mm -hmm. and so um i'm really excited because one of my dance teachers a bachata teacher back in the uk is going to be a brand ambassador for us and um I think like dancers could, you know, uh, to their kind of students and their fans release um, like dance tutorials, dance lessons, um, do routines, maybe post a post themselves dancing uh, a routine on their Instagram and then say, well, if you want to learn how to do this, go subscribe to my Mint Stars because I'm going to be releasing a tutorial. That's smart. And then And then the benefit for the student is like once they have watched that a bunch of times and they've mastered it. They can resell it on to someone else, and the the student gets a little bit of their money back, and the teacher also gets their royalty out of that.
1: Right. Nice. Yeah, it's good because yeah, it also promotes sharing because once you're done with that lesson, you can just say, "This is yeah." You, know, you can move on to, to the next lesson, the next lesson two, and then you can try to pass off lesson one. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now also being in this crypto space, what is a crypto pet peeve that you have?
0: I mean, we've kind of touched on it. But I think my biggest frustration has been when I go to these crypto conferences, and I listen to the panelists, and I listen to the people that I'm meeting. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it's all about making money. It's or it's all about, you know, kind of crypto purism is what I want to say, like a lot of people are talking in order to impress other people, other crypto natives. And it's not about what are problems that we can solve with this technology? How can we make people's lives better? How can we get more, make this space more accessible to people who can't currently access it? And therefore we need to change our language to not be so Mm crypto-focused. Like there's a lot of people kind of looking down on platforms that are more like Web2 because they don't see it as like pure enough. But if you want to help a lot of people, You need to meet them where they're at and you need to meet them with something they can understand. And then you can kind of gradually bring them towards your ideals. I mean, but, but something that I love that gives me a lot of hope on the other hand is there are people in the space who are focused on how do we give people more ownership over things in web three, right? They're focused on these ideals, right? Like creating DAOs that do share ownership, that share profits, that reward people for the work they put in that allow everyone to vote. That is a really wonderful ideal. And I love that there are people kind of trailblazing in that way, even if they haven't quite figured it out yet.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And that brings up um, another question. How can people help out Mint Stars as it's, you know, before they're launching hopefully in November, what can people do to help contribute to the development of Mint Stars?
0: Thank you for asking that. Um, Well, the first thing would be go and sign up for our waitlist, mintstars.com. You can sign up as a creator or a fan, um, and that will make you the first to be informed when we launch. Um, It also helps us to have more people on our our list because it means that once we launch, there will be actually interesting content on the platform and there will be people willing to buy that content. So if we want to help our creators we have to make sure we have a really big fan base who's exactly. really excited and gonna support them. Um, the second thing I would say um, follow us on social media. Our at is at Mint Stars Real on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you can join our Discord um, and really like just amplifying the things we say. Like if you retweet us, if you post about why you're excited, that is a huge help to us. And then um, we also will be hiring soon. Um, so if you're a, blockchain developer or if you're a marketer and you have experience with platform economies or you're a really good community manager get in touch with us um, because we'll be also hiring good people soon
1: awesome and yeah and so work. those people who are always looking for jobs in crypto this is your chance to get into it because...
0: yes well there have been so many layoffs recently so um, it's a good time to hire at least <laughs>
1: um, so to end it all off I would love to know what is a uh, your favorite wholesome crypto moment
0: Okay, this is tough. Um, I think that one of my favorite things um, has been, you know, I often feel kind of like an imposter in some of these crypto spaces, Mm -hmm. because I didn't come into this as someone who was really into crypto. Um, I didn't come into it as a business person or a software developer. I just came into it with knowing a lot about this problem and this group of people I wanted to solve for. Um, but then when you meet people who are like really excited about what you're doing, it's fantastic. Um, so I made good friends with a guy named Daniel Yearwood at Permissionless because we were sharing a room in our Airbnb, and he's starting a really cool um, music NFT startup called Mission Road Sound. And we really hit it off. He invited me to be an advisor for his startup. Wow. And um, then when I went to LA, um, where he lives, he took me to Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, just like showed me around there. We got a drink at Dave and Buster's. Um, I learned kind of how run down Hollywood Boulevard has become. (laughs) Uh, That's
1: what I keep hearing. Never been there before, but I never hear uh, that should be a place I have to visit.
0: Um, I would say it was really fun to visit, but it's not glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I'm trying I'll still try to make it just so I at least understand what people are talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I would recommend that, and um, his project is really cool too. So I would recommend checking that out. He's focused on um, kind of building out music catalogs to provide to music NFT platforms, um, and working with musicians, and then also something um, called MuFi, like kind of a lending DeFi um, protocol.
1: Nice. Well, it's like I'm, I'm really happy to get to meet people in the space because the space is pretty small in the crypto in the crypto community. Like you get to know one person, then they start knowing someone else, and then that tree of uh, knowledge and tree of like just the community itself is is pretty small where you can quickly find the people who can help you out the most. So I'm really glad that you found Dan and uh, it's so exciting to have a partner who's also excited with you. Just a lot more energy and a lot more uh, help doing a, like launching a business. It's not easy. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort.
0: Yeah. it. I mean, being a founder is so hard. It's like a roller coaster and my co-founder and I, Dan, have had to push through so many challenges, but so that just makes me so grateful for the people along the way who have been excited about what we're doing and encouraged us because that is what keeps us going.
1: I'm excited, Jessica. Thank you so much for, uh, Thank
0: you, Rudy. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you invited me to join me.
1: Of course. It's, uh, Jessica van everybody. Thank you so much again for joining me. I'm super excited for Mint Stars. I'm appreciative for your work because it is needed and it definitely helps open up eyes for other people who are, you know, just never knew this was a problem. And yeah, I can't wait to keep sharing what you're working on.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. See you everyone.
0: Bye.